0: Well, bless the Lord, people of God, how are you tonight? I pray that you are doing well and that you are walking in the blessings of God, that you are taking a walk by faith that you might please God. This is just another wonderful day, and I am thankful that you are with me tonight for the Word on Wednesday. Uh, we have been journeying through 1 Samuel, and we now are concluding Chapter 26, and tonight we'll move into Chapter 27. Um, for those of you who are out here for the first time, we have been journeying through this for several months now and have been diligently studying to see how God will transform a nation of scattered tribes who are in the promised land doing what they want to do, how he will transform them into a nation. Uh, In the process, we have watched how God moved uh, Israel from being a theocracy to a monarchy, we've watched as the priesthood begins to transition away from the house of Eli. Um, We get a chance to watch how God transforms his ideal king to rule over his people. Um, We are still at the present time uh, dealing with Saul But over the past, I think, six or seven weeks now, we've watched as David has been in the refiner's fire as God trains him to walk in his anointing. And we have to learn. We have to learn how to walk in our anointing. This is a call there's a process that God takes us through after he saves us and this process is called a holiness or sanctification, and what God is doing is he is exposing David's flesh and teaching him how to walk, following the spirit of God, following the word of god and there's a wonderful um there's a wonderful comparison that we can make because we saw early on that Saul did not walk according to the spirit of God. Saul didn't walk according to the Word of God, but instead Saul followed after his own flesh and Now we have David who has who's been empowered by the Spirit of God, and he now is doing he's done great exploits for god and what we're seeing now is, is we're seeing God begin to put the finishing touches on David. Um, before we go into the review and then st- finish off chapter 26, um, let's have a word of prayer and then I want to invite somebody to, to give their life to Christ. So let's, let's start with a word of prayer. Uh, Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come tonight and we come by faith. We come trusting in you. Father, we know that your word won't return to you void. And we know that there are people out there who are listening uh, in radio land who who need you and who need this word. And they don't need to hear me. They don't need to hear my notes. They don't need to hear uh, what I think this is. They need to hear from you tonight. Some are in dry places, and they thirst after you. Some are in places of confusion, and they need to—they need to—they need to see you. They need to experience your peace. And still others, oh Father, are are desperate. They're in places of desperation and confusion. And they're longing after you. They're longing to hear a word from you. They're longing to hear you say, I love you. They're longing for you to just show them any kind of concern. Because their faith has been tested. They've been in the fire. And and they really, really, really want to know that you're there with them. And Satan is doing everything he can to to break their backs and to break their faith and to cause them to be disgruntled and cause them to walk away. Oh, God, tonight, this night, I would ask that your spirit would minister to them. Then, Father, strengthen them by your word. Encourage our hearts tonight from your word. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, one of the reasons that we do this broadcast each week is not just to teach the Bible, but that you might, that you might get a revelation of God. And there are some of you out there who never got the revelation of God, and this is your first time. And so I came to tell you tonight that, that God loves you that God is concerned about you. He's so concerned about you that he allowed his son to die for you, and he wants you to trust him, and he wants, him to, he, he wants you to trust him to bring you salvation, to deliver you from where you are, deliver you from the grips of Satan, deliver you from the sinful life that you now live, deliver you from misery, deliver you unto eternal life. And Jesus died for that. Jesus died for your sins. Even right now, Satan is telling you, oh, you're a sinner. You ain't no good, blah, 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 blah. And the fact is this. All of us have sinned. But there are some of us like me who, after recognizing that I had sinned and that I was sinful and that I practiced sin, but wanted to be connected to God. And we heard the gospel message, and the gospel message is simple, that Jesus died for our sins, and that on the third day he rose again, and that God had given him over as our offering for sin, and that he paid it all for us. And Now all we have to do is trust in the work that God did through his son Jesus by believing that Jesus is the son of God, and we can be saved. And so if that's you tonight, I want you to just pray and say, God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and please save me, and God will save you. And then after you do that, I want you to find uh, another Christian or a church, and they can lead you and teach you more about salvation and teach you more how to walk before God. And if you, need to, you know, if you need to get in touch with me, you can get in touch with me. Uh, my, the number that you can call in is 929-477-2304. 929-477-2304. Amen? So get saved. Get that gift of God. Get Jesus in your life. Hallelujah. Now, let's move on. The last time we talked, we were talking about, we were still in the refiner's fire, and in the refiner's fire, what we, um, we learned some things. And last week in chapter 26, it, chapter 26 was very, very revealing, because in chapter 26, Saul had chased David, and David had come down um, and, and, and found out where Saul was at, and God put Saul and all of in them in the camp to sleep, in a deep sleep, and David was able to go in and take his spear, which was a symbol of his power, excuse me, and he was able to take his water jug, which was a symbol of his provision, something that he needed. And David confronted Saul. He confronted Abner. And there was a lot of things that we learned and, uh, out of that chapter, and when I left, one of the things that we were talking about was that chapter was a chapter that taught us that you will reap what you sow. Now that, that, you know, a lot of times when preachers uh, talk about the principles of sowing and reaping, what they connect it to is giving. But the principle of reaping and sowing refers to also to living. And the Bible teaches us, "Be not deceived; God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap." Let me just get back into chapter twenty-six, just for a few seconds, to show you where that, where David introduces that principle to us. Because a lot, again, as I've said many, many times, uh, the old just fulfill uh, the new just fulfills the old, and to understand. What they're saying in the New Testament, you really need to have an understanding, a working knowledge of the Old Testament. Now, if you look and you really study your Bible, what you'll see is author after author in the New Testament quotes the Old Testament. And so let's go. Let me just go over this, this principle in Samuel 26, and then we'll go through the learnings from there, and then we'll move right into 27, and we'll have time. To, we'll we'll be on time tonight. Don't worry about a thing. Um, uh, if you look at chapter 26, verse 23, it says, the Lord, uh, This is David speaking. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble, from all trouble. And therein you see the principle that made David leave him alone, leave leaves alone, not kill him like Abishai wanted to. And you can also see a little of that um, uh, back in chapter um, twenty-four. Yeah, out. In twenty four, let's see, let me see. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Uh, chapter twenty four, verse thirteen. As the old saying goes, "From evil doers come evil deeds." So my hand will not touch you. All of that is just is just the principle of reaping and so on. That's all that is, and. One of the things that we have to learn is when we get upset or when we get angry or or when something is not going our way, one of the things that we have to learn is what comes out of us, what Satan provokes us to do, can hinder us. And so that's why we're taught to never give evil for evil, but Always respond to evil with good. Now, in this in this in this teaching last week, uh, one of the things that we talked about was that Satan was seeking to keep us from our promised inheritance, and that came from when David was when when David was telling Saul, "Look, what you're doing is you're forcing me away from my inheritance in Judah because you keep chasing after me." And you're forcing me to go into another land where they don't worship God and I'll be under false gods. Uh, His goal, Satan's goal with us, is to destroy our faith. You think that the the devil is trying to, to take your house or your husband or your possessions? He doesn't want those possessions. What he wants is your faith. He wants you to stop trusting God. And when you are in the refiner's fire, one of the things you will discover is how strong your faith is. When you're being tested, when you're being tempted, when you're being tried, what is your response to the test? How do you respond in the trial? How do you respond in the fire? Do you resort to worldly methods when somebody comes at you the wrong way? Do you actually turn the other cheek or do you put your hand on your hip and give them a lot of lip? You see those are the things that that's real christianity that's real response this is you know. A lot of people don't understand that, you know, after all the shouting and after all the music is over and after we get away from the hallelujahs and our friends, we have to go out into the world and live out our faith. And what Satan desires to do is he desires to destroy your faith and look at you and say, you ain't number phony. See, God, I told you he wasn't nothing. I told you he was just singing the same I told you he was just up in there shouting because everybody else was shouting. Ain't nothing to him. But when you get into a faith fight, you will find out what's all about you. And let me tell you something. You ain't in that faith fight by yourself, and it does not come as a surprise that you are fighting the good fight of faith. God knew you were going to be in that fight from the beginning of time. God knows that his disciples will face trials and tribulations. And he, his, Jesus intercedes for us, just like he interceded for Simon. What does he say? Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I pray for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brethren. That's what God does for us. And when Jesus prays, prays for us, you know God answers his prayer. You know that prayer is answered. So I know that even in the fire that you're in right now, you are going to be victorious because Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you even now, saying, yeah, he's taking a licking, but, oh, God, if you just give him some more of your spirit, he'll make it. I know his faith will make it. The other thing we talked about was was Saul's, Saul's answer uh, to David when David exposed it, the, the fact that, hey, you, you're messing up, Saul. I could have killed you. Saul makes this answer, and he says, he says I've sinned. He said, and he, uh, this is in verse 21, and he says, I sh- will not try to harm you again. Surely I've acted like a fool and have erred greatly. And we discussed last time what that, those words really meant. Saul wasn't confessing mm mm saul that's why David didn't go with because he heard what he said, and what he said was basically, when you go back and you break this down from the from the Hebrew, he said, You know what I messed up a little bit, and um you know I made a mistake, and we know that that wasn't a mistake what he was doing that that was a willful sin, and Saul would not repent, he would not repent because and, and, some, and one of the things that you've got to understand is when we repent, we got to tell the truth. We have to tell the truth. There's no such thing as, well, you know, God, I'm, I'm sorry. Are you really? Are you really sorry? Are you sorry that, that you've broken God's heart? Are you sorry that you hurt him? Or are you sorry that you got called? Or are you sorry that uh, he might be a little bit upset with me? You see, God desires truth in the inward parts, and there's no need of you coming up here saying, "You know what? Yeah, huh? I'm sorry." And you know, you have kids sometimes doing just to get out of trouble. Sorry. Mm-mm. No, no, no. And you can't you can't whitewash it. If you did something, you did it. And when you repent. When you confess your sin to God, what does the word say? He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Saul is at the point where he could be cleansed, where he could be forgiven, and he says, no, he won't tell the truth. True repentance. Repentance requires truth. Point number six from there, you reap what you sow. And I I talked about that earlier. When you sow righteousness, you get God's righteousness. When you live the way that God commands you to live, when you follow after the word of God, when you follow the spirit of God that leads us into all truth, and the truth is the word of God, when you follow this and you live an upright life, you will receive the very righteousness of God. You shall know the truth, and the truth makes you free. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except that they come by me. God made him who knew no sin to be sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. What are you saying here? We, I'm saying that our righteousness, which is as filthy rags, our lives, and when we try to live them according to the word of God, we, 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 don't, we keep messing up. But when we're trying to live according to the word of God, we're trying to walk upright. And the Spirit of God is helping us. As we go through the transformation process, we put that filthy rag in there, and in return, God gives us his righteousness. So wait a minute, let me say that again. What we, what we put in is not worthy of God. But what we get out is God himself. We give ourselves over to Jesus. You remember the song, I came to Jesus just as I was, weary, worn, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he's made me glad. What made me glad about it? Well, I came in there messed up, but I came out of there fixed up. God transformed me and is transforming me into the very image of his son. He's perfecting me. He's put me in the fire. And when I come out, I'm coming out as pure gold. God makes us righteous through his son, Jesus Christ. The word says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness, given through faith in Jesus Christ, To all who believe, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That's what we were talking about earlier. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So what's all that saying? That is that God through Jesus made us righteous. It is through the shedding of blood that we who sow into Jesus, we who by faith believe what Jesus did, receive the righteousness of God. We walk in the truth of God. And that's what David is doing. David is walking in the truth of God, and he he says, look, God is going to reward my behavior with righteousness. And it takes righteousness and faithfulness, and it's that faith that we need to display today. Amen? What a wonderful God we serve. And with that, and I know it t- I took a little time, we need to understand that we have to walk upright according to the word of God, by the power of God's spirit. And we don't do evil. We don't kill them when we got a chance. We don't do What the world does. Because one of the things that I'm troubled with with Christians is Christians who want to be in the world and do and manage their lives in a worldly manner, but still claim to be citizens of heaven. No. Be the one or the other. You can't straddle the fence anymore. We have to, in order to receive the righteousness of God, you have to walk upright, you have to follow. Jesus Christ. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Amen? So, if you got questions concerning last week's lesson, you can call me at 929-477-2304, or those of you who are out on Periscope right now, you can just pop the question up on the screen. And if I don't see something, if I take this little sip of lemonade, then I'm going to move immediately into Chapter 27. And Chapter 27... Oh, he's still in the refiner's fire. But this chapter I have labeled undercover brother. Amen? So let me get a sip, and then we're going to go right into it. Grab your Bibles. Chapter 27. and I'm going to start reading up verse 1. But David thought to himself, one of these days, I will be destroyed by the hand of Saul. The best thing I can do is to escape to the land of the Philistines. Then Saul will give up searching for me anywhere in Israel, and I will slip out of his hand. That's So David is making a decision here. He's Saul has tried to get him to come back with him, but David... Here's what Saul is saying. And he says, oh, no, I ain't going back nowhere with you. And now that you've discovered me here, I've got to make a move. Now, if you've been following, you know that David is in Judah, and he's been run all over Judah from east to west, north and south, trying to get away from Saul. And now he finally decides, you know what? I don't know how much longer I could keep this up not only, I don't know how, much, how long I can keep this up, but I've got a lot of responsibilities. When Saul was just chasing me, that was one thing. But now I've got wives, I've got children, I've got men, I've got their families, and everybody is depending upon my leadership. And I don't think we can keep hiding like this. We have got to get to a place of safety. And so he decides that he's going to go and he is going to, to the land of the Philistines. And so verse 2 says, says So David and the six hundred men with him left and went over to Achish, son of Maoach, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives. Ahinaham of Jezreel, and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Now, his strategy works. His strategy works because When Saul finds out that David is no longer in Judah, Saul is not big and bad enough to go over into the Philistine territory and yank David out, so he leaves him alone. But there's some questions that we need to answer really quickly. First of all, Gad, remember back when when David deposited his, his mother and father over in Moab? And then he got, he went down and he was in the stronghold, he was in a castle, and he was going to stay in the land of Moab because there he was secure. And the prophet Gad came to him and told him, "Uh uh-uh, you can't stay here. You get back into the land of Judah. Remember that? Well, what has changed in this word that makes David, that allows David, to, to say, you know, again, I stayed there as long as I could, Now I got to go. And why does David choose to go? I mean, after all, every, in every encounter, David is victorious. David is living in victory even though it's not comfortable. Now, I want you to, as, as I say this, I want you to reflect on your life. Those of you who are in the fire, those of you who are being refined, those of you who are being sanctified, who are going through this this process, has God deserted you at all? At every corner, at every corner, David is protected and David is walking in victory. It doesn't look like the victory that he wants. David is still walking in his anointing, but he's not on the throne. But God is being faithful to David and working on David's behalf. And my question is, so why would David make this move? I mean, the same God that saved him yesterday could save him tomorrow. Hmm. You know, I looked and I looked and I think David made a decision based on his needs and, and logic. This was just a logical decision, and this was something that David was coming to, long before. Oh, I got this thing. It's a it's a something like a mosquito, something flying around in my study. I'll just slap him good. Sorry about that. I got a little ADHD. Sometime I'm easily drawn off track. But anyway, David makes a logical decision, and David's been pondering this. For a while, because if you go back and look at chapter twenty-six, he says, he, he says, uh, where is it that? Oh, go. If you look at chapter twenty-six, verse about around nineteen, somewhere yeah nineteen, he says, now let my lord the king listen to his servants' words. If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, men have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. Now listen to this part. They have now driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go serve other gods. You see, he is so uncomfortable where he is that it's almost as if we are being told what David's thoughts are, and he says, I've got to get out of here, even though the Philistines serve other gods. I'm, I'm going to have to go over to them because this ain't working out. And I believe that based upon what I see here, that this was no more than uh, these thoughts were running around David's head, and finally he says, you know what, the best thing for me and my me and my family and all the people that's following me, we got to get up out of here and we've got to go over there because there we can be protected. And Saul will leave me alone. And so he makes this move pour the kish, so he can get peace once and for all, or at least that's what it looks like. So it's a logical decision. So and let me tell you something. Sometimes when we, are, when we make decisions or when we're searching out the will of God, we ask God some questions and we say, Lord, please show me the way, show me the way, show me the way. A lot of times God says, go on, make a decision. Make a decision, especially when you're trying to make a decision and God knows that you're trying to honor him with your decision-making when you're looking at a situation and and you're saying, God, based on what I know, this is the best decision I know how to make. Some of us stay frozen in time because we're waiting for the Lord to do what he has empowered us to do. And the reason why we don't make decisions, the reason why we don't go forward, the reason why we don't use that noggin absent of a word from the Lord is because we think that God is going to be so upset with us if we get it wrong. Yeah. and we, I mean, and I'm talking to sincere Christians now. I'm not talking to the, the willy-nilly people who just do what they want to do and then blame, blame God when they go wrong. I'm talking to people who, who are on their face before the Lord saying, Lord, I've got a decision to make, and you said, you said, in all thy ways, acknowledge trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. I'm looking for you to direct it. I'm talking to them. There are times when you make a decision based upon the best information that's in front of you. And you put that information in front of God and you say, look, this is what I got. And this is what I, I believe I need to do. And then he doesn't say anything. And so you want to say, <laughs> Do I do it? Do I do it? Do I do it? After you've searched it out and you've made a decision and you've lifted up. And I, I know sometimes I try, to, I try to, you know, instead of me taking that leap of faith like I need to do, I, I, I get stuck in my own logic. And then I'll say something like, Lord, if you want me to go through that door, open it. And if you don't want me to go through that door, close it in my face. And that's kind of me saying, I'm going to go through this door. So now if you don't go through this door, uh, then you need to slap that bad fella in the face uh, because here I come. Because I'm not doing it without you. I'm doing it with you, but I just don't know if that's the way you want me to go. But I'm going. I don't see any reason why not to. You didn't tell me not to do it. You didn't tell me to do it. I've got to trust in the sense you gave me, and you got to, I want you to speak to my heart. And sometimes he don't. He don't say nothing to me. And we got to make the best decision, and that's what David does here. He makes the best decision that he can. Let me keep going. So David and the 600 men, I'm at verse 2, with him left and went over to Achish. Achish, son of Maac, king of Gath. David and his men settled in Gath with Achish. Each man had his family with him, and David had his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, the widow of Nabal. When Saul was told that David had fled to Gath, he no longer searched for him. Then David said to Achish, If I have found favor in your eyes, let a place be assigned to me in one of the country towns that I may live there why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So on that day, Achish gave him Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. Now, so what happened here? David and 600 people, 600 men, along with their wives and families, are now being hosted by Achish. And The thing about it is, when you were the guest of the king, the king was responsible for feeding you. And so can you imagine this king every day has to come up with enough food to feed David and his army? And when David comes to him and says, you know what, I know we're being a burden to you, so why don't you just, you know, being up in this royal city, it's not a good thing. Why don't you just give, give us some place where we can go, and then we'll get off your backs. We'll be out of your hair. We'll take care of ourselves. You don't have to feed us anymore. And he, and the king, Akish, basically said, that is a wonderful idea because feeding you jokers, woo, that's a lot. So he gives them the city of Ziklag. Now, you might ask, so, preacher, why do you call us undercover brother? Well, let me show you you what's happening here. So on that day, Akish gave him Ziklag, and it has belonged to the kings of Judah ever since. David lived in the Philistine territory a year and four months. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites, the Gizarites, and the Amalekites. From ancient times, these people had lived in the land extending to Shur and Egypt. Whenever David attacked an area... He did not leave a man or woman alive, but took sheep and cattle, donkeys and camels and clothes. Then he returned to Aches. What is the significance of David attacking these people? Well, first of all, let's start with Ziklag. Ziklag was a city given to Judah and Simeon, there's at one point he's giving it to Judah, another point they're giving it to uh, Simeon. But Ziklag had been given over to them according to the word of the Lord. But Judah had failed to capture Ziklag under Joshua. Take a look at um. Let's take a look at, at Joshua fifteen. Uh, chapter 15 chapter let's go over there real quick you see a lot of times what we have to do is we have to see what's going on and and how god is operating behind the scenes david makes that decision to go and then god says okay you know what long as you're over there let's do this uh Let's see, chapter 15, is that what I see? Yeah, chapter 15, let me look at my notes, verse 31, 1531, is that right? I'll start reading at thirty-nine. These are the cities that uh, that got, actually start reading at the twenty-first um, verse and see them all. But included at thirty-one is Ziklag, and it's given to Judah. Okay, and then in look at uh, Deuteronomy verse twenty, or chapter twenty, rather. Ooh, I'm fumbling tonight, Honor. Because I had to cover two chapters chapter twenty verses sixteen and seventeen and what those what those verses ref, will refer to is how they are to war because when we look at this we say, ooh David goes down there and he's killing the enemies of God, but should he do it that way? He is obeying the word of the Lord. look at chapter twenty verse fifteen This is how you are to treat all the cities that are at a distance from you and do not long belong to the nations nearby. Or, oh, excuse me, 14. 12. No, 13. Go 13. Twenty thirteen. When the Lord your God delivers it into your hands, put to the sword all the men in it, as for the women, the children, the livestock, and everything else in the city, you may take these as plunder for yourselves, and you may use the plunder the Lord your God gives you from your enemies. This is how you are to treat all the cities that are at a distance from you and do not belong to the nations nearby. However, in the cities of the nations the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you, otherwise They will teach you to follow all the detestable things that they do in worshiping their God, and you will sin against the Lord your God. When you lay siege to a city for a long time, fighting against it to capture it, do not destroy its trees by putting an axe to them, because you can eat their fruit. Do not cut them down. Are the trees of the field people that you should besiege them? However, you may cut down trees that you know are not fruit trees, and use them to build siege works until the city at war with you falls. What basically we, we just read here is the rules of warfare against the enemy. And what Joshua and the people of God were supposed to do is they were supposed to go in and they were supposed to wipe them out. And what David is doing now under undercover is he is completing the task that God gave to Israel, specifically to Judah, to wipe out, to utterly destroy these people. And David is doing it undercover because Akish, when he answers Akish, he says, look, when Akish asks, where did you go raiding today? David would say, against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of male, or against the Negev of the Kenites. He did not leave a man or woman alive to be brought to Gath, for he thought they might inform on us and say, this is what David did. And such was his practice as long as he lived in the Philistine territory. So what David is doing while he is in in Gath, while he's in Ziklag, is he uses Ziklag as his base of operations, and he goes out raiding, and he tells Akish that he's raiding. Uh, uh, his raiders are going against his tribe, Judah, but instead what he's doing is he is clearing out the enemies of God. He's just destroying them. I want to ask you a question, and it's a huge question. Where you are right now, what are you doing? What are you doing? I look at these jobs that we're on, where we are in the world where we are in enemy territory. And I've come to the conclusion that God has planted us in the place that he wants to use us. But so oftentimes, we get so caught up in what we want to do and where we want to go that we forget that we are instruments of God. David is an example of what it's like to be used by God as an instrument, even where he is. And my word to you tonight is, wherever you are, let God use you. Work according to the word of God. You see, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power, spiritual wickedness in high places. And where you are, you, O soldier of God, have been assigned to take and advance the kingdom of God. And the people that you sit around and the people that you report to or the people that report to you are all people that God wants you to win for the kingdom. God wants you to change that atmosphere. God wants you to advance the kingdom of God. And how do you advance the kingdom of God? You advance the kingdom of God through prayer. That's the number one thing, through prayer, through standing in the midst and changing the atmosphere through your prayer. You change and advance the kingdom of God through your lifestyle by letting your light shine in that dark place. Let me, let me rephrase that again. Let me rephrase that. By letting the light of God shine through you in that dark place. And what does that mean? By showing God's love in operation in you and through you towards all of You see, your behavior and how you walk before them, your conduct before them, is the light that they will use, that, that God will use to draw them towards you. And you might say, well, "Wait, wait a second. Hold on. I've been trying to live right before them, and and they, the the more I try to do, the the worse they seem like they get." Well, do you know what happens when light is shining in darkness? Okay, go sit in your closet for a little while. Take a flashlight with you, but don't turn the flashlight on. Sit in your closet or sit in the dark for a little while and then shine a light in your eyes. That hurt. And so they're already in darkness, and all of a sudden you come with the light of Jesus. And so their natural reaction, their natural reaction is to recoil because you're showing them something, you're showing them light, and they're used to darkness. Show you what I'm talking about? How many times have you shown kindness to a person and the comment back to you was, hmm, I wouldn't have done that. That's That's silly. That's them basically saying, I'm not used to being loved. And so what you're doing is you're ushering in God into their life. You're showing them what love looks like. And true love has to be consistent. You see, that's the problem that I have. And that's the problem that many Christians have. I do good for a long time. But all of a sudden, you will find that corn, and you know how we act when somebody step on our corns. The corn already hurting us, and here they putting a big old foot on top of it. And the next thing you know, here come what the filth, foul, you know, and you ready to pop them upside their head. But God does not want us to respond like that when they hit that corn yeah and and when we, when we're uh, one of the things i constantly have to pray is Lord you have to help me now you have to help me because you know you know you, you you know you ain't got all of this mess out of me yet you know i'm st- I, I I'm still messing some stuff up, and the spirit of God that dwells within will strengthen you and he will mature you and he will make you what he wants to be, to give you the ability to endure. That's a wonderful thing. Oh, yeah. some And, and I know that there's some testimonies out there right now where, he, he, ooh, that had to be God because that sure wasn't me. Because any other time I would have, ooh, I went as far as I could with her. And it was the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. And so what we have to learn how to do is have so much trust and so much faith in God that we, as we're going forward, we, we say, God, I'm following you, and I need you to, you know, because of myself, I could do nothing. And God will enable you. God will fix it for you. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. And that's what he demands of us. He wants us to take that area. So let me wrap the lesson up. You got decisions to make. David had a decision to make, and he makes the decision, and he goes over, and he continues to follow the way of God. He, he is strategic in his thinking. Oh, saint of God, you have to be strategic in your thinking. You have to walk with wisdom and knowledge and understanding. You have to walk according to the word of God. Now, put all that together. And then and you say, well, now, you know, Lord, you see, there's some things that you don't want me to do. I got them. I ain't doing them. But there's some things that I think I need to do. And you, I'm going to do it according to the principles of your word as best I can. Now, in here, you see David lying. You see David being deceptive. And I can't explain those away. I cannot explain those away. He lied and he deceived his host. We don't want to practice lying. We don't want to practice deception because those are things that come from Satan. But in this instance right here, he did it. And he made it work to the glory of God. I, I I really struggled with this lesson because you know we always want to put a nice little bow on it. We always want to say, okay, you do this, you do this, you do this because of this, this, and this. Can't do it. It's right there in the word. We are not. And and God tells us specifically, don't lie. Don't um, no 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 no. Don't deceive. No no no. David does both of them let me say something to you. Even though David makes that decision, Romans 8.28 tells us, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. David is called to be king. It is the will of God. You are called to be a saint. It is his will. It is his purpose that you now undertake. God will take every decision that you have ever made, good or bad, right or wrong. He will take that and work it and mix it in such a way that it will work Together for good. Yeah, you're walking by faith, and sometimes as we walk by faith, we got nothing. It's nothing in the word. We ain't hearing the word. We praying, and we come to that hour, and we have to make a decision. And some of the decisions that we make are wrong. But because we walk by faith, because we love the Lord, because we are trying to do the right thing and walk upright, he's trying to save his family. He's trying to save his men. You're trying to save your family. You're trying to save your community. Some of the stuff that you do, it ain't in that book at all. And you're asking the Holy Spirit, lead me, lead me, lead me, lead me, lead me. Oh, God, I need a word from you. You're fasting and praying, and he said, make a decision. And you, like David, have gone before the Lord and said, shall I go up? You've asked all those questions, and in time's past, God has answered you, and boom, you just made a move. And now God is basically saying, in the fire, sometimes you're going to have to make a decision. Make it to the best of your ability. Submit it unto me. Acknowledge me, and I'll take that circumstance. I'll take that decision because this ain't about you. This is about me, and you're trying to give me glory in your life. I sometimes think about it like this. It's like having a a kid bring you one of his kindergarten or first grader when they bring you those those ashtrays. Remember, we used to make clay ashtrays. Now I don't know what they're making because I don't get any of that stuff anymore. Whatever the, the, the artwork that you make in kindergarten, and there's, there's some scribble. When you, but when they hand that to you and say, Mom, Grandma, Grandpa, I made this picture for you. You look at that thing and don't tell me that ain't a Picasso. Well, when because they've done their best according to what they know and according to what they've been taught. But when you've done your best and you hand your work over to God, and you know how the kids walk up to us because they get into it to us because they love us. They're presenting it to us because we they belong to us. How do you think God feels? Do you think he's going to say, oh, so you're going to mess around and marry that Negro or you we out there and made that big old bill, or you made this bad decision, and, and, and just get on out of my face. He looks at what we give him with love, and he says the same thing that you say to the ones that you love. Look at what my baby did. Mm. And he doesn't throw it, ball it up and throw it away or, or hide it someplace. But he displays it because it's your work of love. And then he continues to teach you, and he continues to decorate. You know how you decorate your refrigerator, and then you got one in your office, and, and you know at, you that's, That to anybody that look at it, it ain't nothing but scribble. But to God, it's an offering by faith from one of His children. He wants to put you on display. He wants your work on display. Hallelujah. Hey, so the final word is this. And such was his practice as long as he lived in Philistine territory. Akish trusted David and said to himself, He has become so odious to his people, the Israelites, that he will be my servant forever. He's really got this guy snowed under he is David is really working undercover because Akish thinks, mm, I got this boy under my thumb now. And that's just what the devil thinks. Oh, He's working here, and ain't nobody paying no attention to him. But all along, God is using David. God is using the word, and the word is accomplishing its purpose. And God wants to accomplish his purpose in you. Stop feeling bad about decisions that you made. Watch God make it all good. Stop feeling bad about the place that you're in right now. Surrender yourself to Jesus Christ. Surrender your works to Jesus Christ. Walk by faith no matter what you've done, trusting that God is going to get the glory out of your life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name we come to say thank you. We thank you for the word. We thank you that somebody somewhere has heard your word. And that, and that God is and that you've ministered to them tonight, and that the decision that they've been trying to make that uh, decisions that they've made in the past that seem to plague them, that you've let them know, I got this, and I can make it good because you love me, and I've called you according to my purpose. hallelujah. Well, that's our lesson for tonight. In Jesus' name. Let me just give you the blessing, and then we'll go from there. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace, and that is the blessing of God to you and to your family, your household, your neighborhood, and all you come in contact with. I would ask that you would walk in the blessings of God in jesus name amen i'll see you next week uh next wednesday night we'll go right into chapter twenty eight after a brief review and we'll continue to to come on with this we'll soon we'll be um into second Samuel because we're just going to keep right on going God love you may he keep you. Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.